Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Post Traumatic Survival Podcast, a show that helps you rewire your brain to survive and thrive. Join your host, Ozzy Martinez Jr., a Marine, a combat disabled vet, husband, and father, as he shares his firsthand knowledge and experience of hitting rock bottom, almost ending it all, and then turning it around. Dive into the rewired minds of thriving survivors. This show is an in depth look at post traumatic survival. And now, Ozzy. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for joining. Thank you for listening into my podcast. I really appreciate it. I do this honestly for you. I'm not going to lie. I do this for myself a lot. I love, I think this is therapeutical, um, me sharing my story and comparing my story to other individuals that have been through trauma. And that way, other individuals can relate and say, wow, you know, I can relate to a combat vet. I can relate, relate to somebody that lost her legs. I can relate to somebody that has been burned. And at the end of the day, what I'm trying to make everybody understand that trauma is very similar um, when we experience it, whether, you know, however your incident was, the aftermath is very, very similar. And if we could help each other get out of it and survive and thrive, I think uh, we're doing our goal here. So I'm very excited to have my guest, Jason. I'm not going to try to do your last name because I tried finding videos on YouTube to see if I could if I could hear it. I, I'm a butcher of last names, and I don't like doing that because everybody always butchered my first name in boot camp. I'm sure the drill instructors did it on purpose, but, you know, there was like, Osvaldo, you know, always messing it up. So I don't like butchering people's names. But, Jason, what's your last name? Checkterly. Checkterly. You see, I thought that's how it was. All right. So I got Jason Checkterly, a retired Phoenix police officer and uh, an amazing, amazing individual, an amazing story. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ruin it for him. I'm going to let him tell his story. But, um, you know, Jason is a veteran. Uh, He served in the Air Force for four years. And after that, he became a Phoenix firefighter. I'm sorry, a Phoenix police officer. And, you know, 14 months into the job, um, you know, it, it, your life just changed, correct, Jason? It changed uh, drastically. Only 14 months of the job, uh, I, you know, wanted to be a cop. Really bad, tested a lot of times, and not an easy job to get. As uh, it should be, uh, a very difficult job to get. We're sitting here, right in the middle of a a shitstorm in the country right now because of an officer in Minneapolis who should have never made it through the hiring process. It should be very, very difficult. Um, and, uh, finally achieved that goal and dream at, at 26, you know, I did my four years in the, in the military and, uh, but it was peacetime 91 to 95. Uh, the most excitement I had was going to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba for the 94 Haitian refugee crisis, uh, which, you know, for an air force guy, listen, this was, <laughs> this was a pretty intense deal. I remember we were all like, what the hell's going on here? And uh, so I, I truly, whenever I talk to Marines, Army, or I mean, that's uh, awesome know, like, that you got to be in Cuba. A Navy <laughs> SEAL, I'm like, what the hell? But yeah, just the fact that I can say I was a get I was like, holy shit, I, that, that's like real. Nice. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> most Air Force guys, unless you fly a jet, you can't say anything, yeah. uh, anything too cool. So, um, but I came home, uh, got married, had a couple of kids, and then finally achieved 
my goal at 26 and uh, did my probation. Life was life was going uh, apparently too perfect at 28 because uh, they're just, you know, I look back on it. It's amazing to think at 28 years old, I had never even experienced a death in my family. All four of my grandparents were alive. My parents were healthy and married. My siblings were doing great in their careers. And I had a growing family of my own. I mean, I mean it was, uh, uh, back then I didn't think much of it, how lucky I was, but talk about unprepared and not having any idea what true adversity was. And on the night of March 26th, uh, 2001, I was on my way to an emergency call, lights and siren, came to a brief stop at a traffic light, that, uh, a red light, so you gotta clear the intersection, you know, you gotta come to a stop, right. make sure people will we'll stop for to you. your emergency vehicle. Yeah, it's stop for you, I and mean, you gotta have respect. You can't just go blowing through red lights. No, no, trust you me, know. listen, I live in Miami, yeah. and <laughs> oh, dude. That, that is, that, if you do that, that, that is just signing up for death, because <laughs> nobody you, still stops yeah, here. You, so <laughs> you're, kill, you're killing yourself or somebody else. Hey, yeah. listen, Phoenix leads the nation in red light fatality. So I'll put us up against Miami anytime. And so you were, you were just at a red light. You, you were just at a red light, yeah. slowing down to it, making sure that traffic on the other sides crossing you would slow down to you. Yeah. No. And listen, it, it takes a second and a half to clear an intersection. It's nothing. You come to a quick stop left, right. And you floored again on your way to your, your call. And in that split second, I was hit from behind by a taxi cab. The driver was suffering an epilepsy seizure at the time, and he was going 115 miles an hour. So his foot, his foot was stuck on the accelerator. Just stuck on the accelerator. And, you know, looking back on it, it took me a while over the years, you know, putting pieces together. But uh, I would imagine he was probably... Uh, being in the midst of this grand mal seizure, he was probably attracted to my overhead lights. And that's why he ended up veering. Because he traveled a long way to build up that speed. speed without, luckily, without hitting anybody else, killing anybody else, until he finally uh, ran into me. Um, my car burst into flames, and I was driving a car that was very susceptible uh, Crown Victoria, it used to happen a lot. A lot of officers have died in these rear and fuel fed fires. A lot of civilians that you never hear about. And, I remember, I remember, uh, I remember something coming up in the news about that event. Oh, yeah. Well, Florida, uh, there's a Florida Highway Patrol. Yeah. Was one of them back, I think, in uh, 2003, if I'm not mistaken. It was kind of uh, spread out across the country. Here in the valley, we were ground zero for it. We had, we lost two state troopers here in the valley had my accident and then a year later we lost a channel police officer so we had four wow. and uh made us all step up and pay a little more attention and, and do a lot of advocacy work which i could get into later but yeah. uh, after impact you know at that kind of speed of course you're you're knocked unconscious you can't uh there's no way your your body you're just not made to process something like that i was knocked unconscious and uh thankfully because it uh, instead of being in the moment of fear and chaos and sucking in all that smoke and and stuff like that, I was, uh, you know, my breathing was shallow and I was completely at rest. Right. Your and body does shut down for purposes. You know, there's it things it does. It does. It's it like, for instance, does. I've heard 
I've heard that for situations like a, a, a car accident, the more unexpected you are for it, the better you are. Because if you start to tense up and you're ready for it, then your body's not going to react to it naturally. I Guaranteed. mean, I've, I've read research on that. So, Guaranteed. you know, yeah. so you weren't yeah. even expecting this. So it just hit you. You know, you exactly. were, you were I limber. Completely, I was completely relaxed. It was unexpected. And yeah, that does help and, uh, getting knocked out. But, uh, you know, I, I've had so many miracles in my life. But the very first one started with my car. You know, when you get hit from behind at that speed, the momentum is going to take you quite a way. Through the intersection, I, right. Yeah, I traveled almost 300 feet, and I came to rest right in front of a fire truck. Wow. Dude, you can't even you can't even make that up that you're you're the moment you catch on fire there's a fire truck sitting there. Yeah, that's like that's like it sounds like one of the things where I'm watching a movie and I'm like, come on man, this is for real. You know exactly. and, <laughs> right. Dude, I'm telling you, if they turn this story into a movie, people are like there's no way. And this is because I mean if you think about it, I I like to actually play things in my head. So you're standing there and I know how it is. This is like a rolling stop when you get to this red light. You're probably yeah. still going less than half a mile an hour. Your wheels are still oh, yeah. moving by inches. And then all of a sudden you get rear-ended, you get pushed because your car's still in drive. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. And I mean, this is so your car gets dragged. You're now in front of a fire truck. And then what happens? I mean, because as I'm reading here, it says here that you, you there's temperatures reaching over 700 degrees. Yeah, this car was fully engulfed. And you can see pictures of it when you Google my name. And the other car still like metal is like melted to it. He, he followed his car did not catch on fire, but he followed with the momentum. He also continued through the intersection and basically came to rest where I did. And you know what I like to your point of being unprepared, these firefighters, they were pulling up to a traffic light to make a turn. And I mean, two of them had their eyes closed. It was 1130 at night. They were on their way to the same call that I was going to, but uh, they were running code two. They weren't in a hurry to get there. They, they had no idea. And a lot of times, you know, I don't know how it is in a combat situation, but uh, a lot of times for police and fire, you at least get a little bit of detail of what you're headed. Yeah. You get a call on the radio. You get a slight description of. I've been on ride alongs. I've been on ride alongs yeah. with uh, police and firefighters and I see how yeah. it is. So I could imagine right now they are, they're either coming from their firehouse or another call. They're, they're already decom. The yeah. They're decom or they're, they're getting ready. They're getting geared up. And now all of a sudden this happens in front of them. Yeah, they're coming from their firehouse, so they're wearing their shorts and t-shirts because it's yeah, their boots uh, are in their truck and everything. It's, it's March, it's it's warm, and then literally the world explodes right in front of them. And you know, I don't care who you are, what uniform you're wearing, fight or flight syndrome is very real. Yes, it is one hundred percent. Sometimes, sometimes you see things, and it takes a second to be like, "Am I seeing what I'm actually?" Seeing right now, this, what I told you real. as I pulled up with my motorcycle yeah. six weeks it, ago, is this it, really happening? Is this really happening right now? It, it, yeah, things become surreal. Time does truly slow for down. For a and second, I, these firefighters. I guarantee for a second, it's like I remember my first explosion I saw or the first real deal shit hitting the fan in Iraq. And I, I said to myself, I was like, dude, is this Hollywood? Like, is this yeah. real? <laughs> right. Like, right. oh, yeah. 
These yeah. are, these are not special effects. Wait a second. Then you hear the zoom, the snapping, and you're like, oh shit, it's real. Like yeah, it's real. And but they, all that's happening. All that's happening in two three seconds. Yeah, and that's why I mean I give these firefighters. I love. To, I still keep in touch with a couple of uh, very closely, and I, I still love talking to them about it because I give them so much credit for not only did they witness this, but all of a sudden they had to they they not a second could be spared, and they had to jump into the you know to the into mode. their training into yeah. their call into the into mode. Their mode and they and on top of it you know not to take away from anybody else but there's a certain camaraderie between of course i was going to say that i mean not only did so, they see something blow up but they saw the strobes they saw the they, lights exactly. they know what then they know who it is then it's like holy shit that's a police officer it's one of us i got i got to get him out and so they all went to work and they've all got very important individual jobs to do you know once the captain's trying to give information on the radio and we need listen i need a lot more units on scene the engineers getting her truck prep getting the hoses out one of the firefighters has to fight the fire and the end there's a young 22 year old kid rookie firefighter who his task was to get me out of the car i mean at 22 years old are you kidding me and i'm trapped in a seatbelt. And the fire is just out of control. They said it was so high. It was, it, I, was, I was under a freeway overpass, and they said the flames were licking. It was an oven. The, so Yeah. So, um, you know, I give them just an amazing amount of credit. They had me out of the car in 90 seconds with the help of two, two police officers showed up. They were uh, friends of mine, and they were. Did they know at the time as they're pulling up? Had no idea. And that's the other thing. They're half mile away from the scene. They hear the impact. They see the fire. So, of course, it's your job. You go to the fire. And when they get there, then they see it's a police car. And it becomes again, personal what they, now. What are they going through? Like, holy shit, that's one of my friends. Yeah. Who's dying right because, now. Because, I mean, one of the first things they tell you is don't make a scene personal. Don't get exactly. personal. Don't get involved. Exactly. But how, it, it, that's pretty difficult sometimes when it's one of your own. And, uh, you know, they, uh, one of them cut my seatbelt and as he and the firefighter were pulling me out, uh, I'm pretty tall, I'm six foot three. And back then I weighed, you know, a solid 200 pounds. A driver's side window is not the biggest no. opening you're going to find. And so while this firefighter and police officer were trying to extricate me, my long legs, my big size 13 boots got stuck underneath the steering wheel and dashboard. And this other police officer. And all he had on was a short sleeve polyester uniform. He crawled into the cab of the car to free my legs. And, you know, thankfully he didn't suffer any injuries, but I don't think he would have cared if he did. He just had, he just knew I got to get this guy out. And they had me out of that car in 90 seconds. Wow. Um, another miracle. I'm two and a half miles away from, I'll argue, is the best burn center in the United States, Maricopa County Hospital. I was on their trauma table in less than eight minutes from wow. impact to trauma table. Now you, you can understand, uh, obviously being out in the middle of the freaking Sandy desert is a whole different scenario. You but should see the goosebumps I have right now, man, because dude, when this you're injured, when you're injured, eight minutes is, is insane. Uh, this nobody is has that. Nobody this is, is like, I, I, I'm telling you, I have goosebumps on my neck hearing the story, Jason, because um, 
I mean, dude, I can't help to think that this was like, brother, like a, a mistake that happened in 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 this huge play that we're in, you know, of life, right. and and God realized, fuck, I fucked up in this mistake, and they opened everything up for you to make sure you were there in eight minutes. Like, this is yeah, like everything went my favor. I mean. After everything was, yeah, listen to the words. So it's like, I always love when I'm talking to somebody like Tyler Southern, you, somebody that's been through trauma and they say everything was in my favor. Like, wait, 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 what what did you just say? Like, you just got rear-ended at 700 degrees and now you're saying, like, it's amazing that the mindset, you know, like everything was in my favor, you know, to to move forward. I I consider myself, I mean, everybody likes to use different adjectives, whatever makes them feel good. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm lucky, blessed, miracles, uh, twist of fate, God, you can be every, every word in the dictionary that fits perfection and, and things going right. That's what happened from the moment I was hit until getting to the hospital. Now then obviously I'm faced with a, uh, the set of circumstances right. that I was, I was burned uh, 43% of my body, my neck, head, and face being the worst. They're fourth degree and fourth degree burns. That's down the last layer of muscle. And so bone. that's unsurvivable. So I'm trying to picture this. You got rear-ended and the way that this happened, I'm guessing the fire and the gas spread to the roof of the vehicle. Is, is that what happened? Like it spread it, up? It actually came in the part. The problem with the Ford Crown Victoria, they put the gas tank behind the rear axle to bring right. the car. So there's the crush zone is, uh, has nowhere to go. And, so, uh, and with the metal on metal, that kind of an impact, of course, it ignited the, the gasoline as it poured out. And it actually came into the back of my car. Uh, my car was crushed. I mean, it's like got six feet. Of cr- my car went, was 50%. Right, like an size. accordion. It just oh, went yeah, in. Exactly. But- and so the, the fire actually came in, uh, crawled around the cage, and... Again, I know this is going to sound crazy, but when you're involved in that kind of a, a fire, the heat alone, it can be very devastating, like the breathing it in or, or melting. Right. I was actually on fire. Again, like, right. And, and that, that was the best case me. scenario. <laughs> it, it was. It was. You don't want to be, you don't want that to is be crazy, man. really close to the fire. If you're going to be there, you might as well be. Hey, go all the way, right? Wow. Go bigger, go home. I was actually on fire. So I go to the hospital. I got these crazy burns to uh, neck, head, and face, my shoulders to my hands. My bulletproof vest did an incredible job protecting my torso because burns, they keep on burning. Yes. So if your chest is burned, it's like somebody putting a brick on your chest and then a second later put another brick, another brick, and eventually – you just simply can't breathe because burns will, they like close in on you. They restrict, constrict. And so my bulletproof vest went a long way and saved my life. And uh, I had a, other than that, I had a mild concussion, two cracked ribs. Wow. My car doesn't catch on fire. And I got home a few hours later. So everything went in your way, man. And, and, and we got you to the, or, you know, you got to the point, you were able to get to the point where, you were, they were able to make you sure you survived. How long was your process afterwards, Jason? How, what, you know, you finally survived in, in the hospital or emergency room in the burn unit, but then it's like, where did, 
where did that process of going forward really start, man? Like, were you in, you know? Well, I, I'll tell you, the, the prognosis was horrible at first. I mean, the, the doctors told my family, uh, you know, and, and at the time, don't forget, I'm, I'm getting ready to celebrate my fourth wedding anniversary. I've got two kids. You're fresh. I've You're got, fresh in life. Yes. Yeah. I, I got a lot of family. I got a lot, got of a lot going forward for you. Uh, yeah. And the doctors had no good news. These are, I mean, these are the best burn doctors. And they were like, I haven't seen that. You cannot survive the, the, this injury to the neck up, the fourth degree burns. And so, you know, we're going to get him into surgery. We got to get all of that tissue off. Uh, we're going to place him into a medically induced coma. So, I ended up being in a coma for two and a half months. Wow. And After, as soon as that happened, you were in the yeah, hospital. But it was medically induced. Right, right. So, so it was more like drugs. So for me, it was like the blink of an eye. Like I'm at work and all of a sudden I wake up and I'm being told two and a half months have gone by. And I'm like, well, you, you can't get your mind wrapped around that. And I was blind at the time, completely blind. I didn't fully comprehend. I didn't know what I looked like. I didn't understand the extent of the injuries. I couldn't feel any pain because of all the medication. So I started the process of, uh, you know, there wasn't ever any like, why me or anger? It was more the, the sadness of I've lost the job that I love. What are my children going to think of me? I mean, I cried all the time. If people walked into my room, sometimes they got yelled at and cussed at. There's most days I still want to talk to anybody. Uh, I'm just trying to, you know, get a grip on what I'm being told. But in the meantime, every hour, you know, I'm getting blood drawn or I'm getting medication or I'm going off to another surgery. It was, it was just, it was just crazy to think back on. And um, for me, it was, so the accident was on March 26th. I woke up on June 12th. And about three weeks had gone by and laying in bed in the middle of the night, all alone, no visitors, those hours. And I was completely blind at the time. So you're just alone with your thoughts. And uh, I had two profound realizations that, that hit me, that started to lay the foundation of what got me to where I'm at today. And the first was, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. Again, the guy who hit me, uh, he ended up going to jail for uh, a lot of reasons for aggravated assault um, because of choices and mistakes he made. But I knew that he wasn't targeting me. Right. It wasn't, wasn't something malicious that he did on purpose. Yeah. He wasn't trying to hurt a police officer. He certainly wasn't trying to hurt Jason. So I did not have that part of the PTS to deal with. I didn't have that anger like directed right at you didn't kind of have that revenge anger right exactly i didn't have that and then the other thing it just it occurred to me and i i I don't know why looking back on it but i went back years of my life okay i gave up a college golf scholarship to join the military i only spent four years in the military i didn't become a cop until I successfully made it through. I answered up for a call that I shouldn't have answered up for. It wasn't in my area, but the other officers were busy. I chose to drive the direction that I did. So 
it all of a sudden occurred to me that, you know what, I'm laying in this hospital bed not because of one magical, yeah. tragic instance. I'm laying here because all of the choices that I made over a lot of years, that's what got me here. So all the choices that I make starting right now are going to take me where I need to go. And that's when I decided to start putting up uh, whatever fight that I could. And so this is the end of June, and the doctors, I asked them, I was like, how long are we going to be here? When can yeah. I go home? So like immediately, and like in June, you're saying you were already asking them that. The, the, the end of June. The end of June. Yeah, so you already, you, already, you, already had to, you already had made that mindset already, which is, yeah, which exactly. is amazing. I'm, I'm glad that you shared yeah. that in that little detail like that because yeah. it's – it's 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 a it's it's something that we need to realize. We, it's we cannot become the victim. We had meant you had mentioned it before. No. You cannot no. be the victim because this is the job we chose. Like I mean, at the end of the day, if you replay that day, it would have happened over and over and over again because you still were going to respond to that call. I already say we Every have a. Time. Individuals that serve in the police, the fire department, the military. I know some do it for benefits or whatnot. I don't. I mean, I don't know if that still exists. I know it happened at one point, but. I feel that we have a gene to serve. And we talked about yeah. the fight or flight is real. And every yeah. time that thing turns on on us, and man, let me tell you, most recently now, in the most recent years, now that I'm a father, I have an eight and a four-year-old, yeah. and shit hits the fan in front of me, I have now turned to the right and gone home because I have my kids with me, you know? Yeah. But in my, in my gut, I want to go and try to help whoever. I've seen accidents, and I'll call 911, and I'm like, I can't get involved because I right. can't... I, I, so no, your your first your first responsibilities to your kids, and that was part of my, you know, I I, I realized early on too. I hey, I have two kids at home. I have a wife who, who I don't even know what she went through for those two and a half months. I'm in a coma, but she's still here. And I had a lot of people that I'm like, they they're supporting you. You have no right to let them down. And again, there was three weeks of of tears and anger and sadness and how and why. And I went through, yeah, you went through a emotions. grieving process. But when I asked the doctors at the end of June, you know, what are you guys thinking? How long I've already been here for, for three months. What are you guys thinking? And they, they told me, they said, probably Christmas, we're going to need like six more months uh, to get you to where, to where you could go home. And that, that wasn't acceptable at all to be <laughs> that time frame. So I ended up walking out of the hospital uh, on July 31st. Wow. And that year, a month later, a month later, yeah, walked out and I uh, had to go to a rehab center to learn. I mean, I'm blind. I've lost half my fingers. I can't, I, I could barely talk. I couldn't drink out of a straw, eat real food. I've lost 60 pounds. I, I can't bathe. I can't. I mean, I'm a. I'm and you're an saying at that time. Yeah, at that time. Right. I was an infant again. I couldn't do anything. So they sent me to a rehab center and they thought I'd be there three to four months. Turned out I was there three weeks. <laughs> and then and then they allowed me to go home. And going home, uh, you know, again, it's different for everybody. But you would think on paper when you hear, hey, you're getting out of the hospital, you're going home. It'd be like, yes. For me, it was nothing but fear and anxiety. Like, hold on a second. I've got all these professionals, well-trained people taking care of me. I don't want to go home. You know what I mean? Because what's, what's waiting for me at home? And, and I knew how badly 
my injuries, my appearance, everything was going to disrupt my family because you're in the hospital. And again, you're surrounded by people 24 hours a day. You got people coming to visit you. You got people on their shifts working for you. Right. All of a sudden you go home, you get dropped off and it, it's just, the, it was just the four of us all of a sudden. And, um, that, so that was when the, you know, I'm still dealing with a lot of physical, obviously adversity, a lot of therapies, a lot of surgeries, a lot of healing left to be done. But for all those months, the mental and emotional adversity that you go through for me, it didn't kick in until I got home. And then it was like, uh, it was overwhelming. Just that's because, what yeah. that's that's what I tell people. Let me tell you, and and that and it's tough with this whole quarantine time. And I'm glad that you and I were on oh, that man. on that uh, webinar we did for yeah. for Eagle Rise. Uh, yeah. And 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 I quarantined myself for two and a half years during when I hit rock bottom. That my wife asked me to leave my house. I was abusing cocaine. I was going on like three four day binges, and then I would you know try to recover from that and. It got to the point where what I ended up realizing was it was I stopped. You know, like you're at home and your body stops, but your brain doesn't. Right. And then right. those people stop visiting you and stuff. And when people are visiting you and poking you and you're going through all this, you don't have that time to think, you know, what's going of the stuff that constantly is playing in your head. I feel like that, that stuff is constantly playing, but all this noise is louder in front of me, all the poking, all that stuff you're going through. And all of a sudden now you're home, all that noise is gone. And you're like, wait a second, this record's not stopping in my head. And that's what you're talking about. Those that adversity start coming at you. Yeah. And your mind, I mean, while it's, it's your greatest asset, your mindset, and that's why we are both where we're at today but it's also by far your most dangerous. Well, you got to think about it. If it is so powerful to be so good, it has to be just as powerful to be bad. Oh yeah. And your mind can get the thoughts that we have to cross our mind. I I tell people all the time in my speeches, I'm like, listen, I'll be the first to admit when I lay my head down on the pillow at night to go to sleep, that's when the weight of the world comes down. That's when you think about stuff. And I have things that cross my mind that I'm like, Damn, I would never even share that with my closest friend. Let I don't me tell you, I've shared right things. It's a, it's a I've shared things life. on this podcast because uh, I feel I'm not talking to anybody, and at the end of the day, I'm being blown away by how many people around the world are listening. But I mean, dude, there was days like you said. So sitting down and laying your head down is the ultimate quietness and surrounding peace, like pause in the world. But your brain still doesn't pause. Um, All right. So now it gets even louder. That sound in your head now gets even louder, whatever was playing. And that's why I was doing coke, man, because I didn't want to go to sleep. And when I say I was up for two, three days, I was up for two, three days. I was spreading it out. I knew how to how to make sure I'd stay awake. And um, eventually you crash, man. And and yeah, it's it's once you laid your head down, it's that's when it started coming. And let me tell you, there'd be days on those when I would crash that I wake up and I, I lived. I was in such a great position, though, to live the solitude and quarantine that I went through where I was across the street from a supermarket that they eventually turned into a Target and a Whole Foods. So all I did was literally cross the street. But there was times, man, that I would stand there at the edge and I was like, you know what, man, today I might make a mistake and trip in front of this bus. You know what I'm saying? It's like and I was I would replay that as I'm as I'm laying my head down at sleep. And I was like, you know what? I can make it look like an accident. I could make sure that it doesn't look like I did it on purpose. 
you know um and who thinks about that man like how how low are you you know that you think about shit like that dude yeah and yeah and you know it's 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 a tough deal but you know for me i was again i was very lucky i had people at home i had my wife i had my kids uh even though we we went through a lot of adversity uh the days weren't easy i had my, my youngest son at the time he didn't recognize me and that's very difficult as a as a father and yeah. uh, carried with it a lot of overwhelming guilt because, uh, you know, I, I know why I put my name on the application and I'm very proud of that. It's carried me through a lot of dark days, but my children, they didn't ask for me to go Correct. Out and get these injuries. They didn't deserve that. And so we had that to deal with. And, but then for me, I just, it seemed like, you know, I was just having this conversation with my, my son the other day. I'm like, you know, you go through life, uh, for a guy, uh, I can only speak because I'm a guy. Uh, you know, you turn 16 and get a license. Turn 18, you can vote for the first time. You turn 21, and you can legally. And you get you go through it. all these rite of passages that you go through. Right. Yes, but there's only but there's only a handful, right? You go through those little ones, and then at some point you get married, you become a father, and that's that's pretty much it. For me, going through what I went through, it was milestone after milestone. Uh, just between therapy and then 18 months after the accident, my wife and I had our third child and that really put things into perspective. This is now. Cause you didn't have your plate full. Did you No, it wasn't full enough yet. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it, it wasn't full enough at all. Because and, I mean, excuse uh, me, if you don't mind me asking, because I mean, I'm sure listeners are, and this is what I hope. I hope that caregivers are listening to this so that they know how to deal with the situation. But I mean, was your wife at stay-at-home mom or was she a working uh, uh, individual when this happened? I mean, because her life obviously changed as well, too. I mean, she was part of your therapy and part of your your moving forward. Oh, her life changed drastically. And I, I am a firm believer that it is easier to go through something than to watch somebody you love go through something. And my wife was uh, – she had a great career in orthodontics. She had to give that up stay home right that's why i asked and, this and become a stay-at-home wife and mom and then we do have you know so she's got to get the other two to and from school do their right. homework but also get them to understand why they're basically have a monster walking around the house because listen the way i look right now right compared to when i got home I, dude, I could win a i could win a beauty contest right now gotcha. i was i was fucked up back then like i can't even begin to tell you yeah and so my wife had all of that on her plate along with i got to go to therapy every day five days a week i still need surgery no man and then and then listen to me and then you got to understand now she's pregnant and she's uh she's been in the medical field she she knows that she has to have a good mindset because that'll all go to the baby yeah you got to exactly got to take care of yourself and then you know but having that baby it did wonders because it really put, you know, this is, it was no longer about getting me out of the car or getting me to a couple surgeries. We're talking about an entire life. Life. Yeah. Shouldn't even, it, it shouldn't even exist. And to be able to look at him every day, watch him grow. And now this young man, he's 17 years old. Um, he's going to be a senior in high school next year. He's just an incredible child. My son who didn't recognize me has grown up into absolutely the best human being on 
the entire planet with his his compassion and his love and what he has achieved because of his adversity growing up is he's my single biggest inspiration. Uh, I've got a daughter who's now married and doing her thing. I got to walk her down the aisle. There's just so many things that shouldn't have happened. That shouldn't have happened. And being a father is it. It's just the greatest thing. I mean, there's not, you, I, I don't, I don't, I search for words to describe what it means to me. Fatherhood is everything to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had that. I, you know, I, I carried the Olympic torch. Mm. Uh, I, yeah, I met the president of the United States. Let me tell you that, that, that right there is a huge, a huge step. I mean, you were carrying flame. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? And what I always say is, the way I looked at it at the time was instead of this being about the fire that surrounded me, this is the fire that's going to light my path. And having that perspective is going to help. And I ended up, I mean, it was a, it, it was a night full of comedy, full of tears, full of anxiety. Like how I didn't sh- shit my hands are so deformed. I was so weak. I didn't even know if I could Hold carry it up. and walk down the street and, but I did it, and I, I heard the voices of my my family and my friends cheering me on. And then, I mean, I'm sit, we're sitting uh, just to my right, three feet from me right now, is the Olympic torch. Oh, wow. It's right here. Yeah, it's right here. So I was about to ask uh, you, did they let you keep it? I was like, oh, yeah, you get to keep it. And then uh, two weeks after my son was born, my our third child, so 18 months after the accident, I got into a truck by myself. And I drove back to work. Wow. Yeah. So I had just milestone after milestone. That so within 18 months, you were home. back to work. I went back to work as a, as, and I started out as a public information officer. All right. So hold on. I'm trying to do math here. This is uh, March, 2001. By 2003, you were back to work. No, no. No, sorry. 2000 and, 2002. By the end of 2002, no. you were back to work. November 12th of 02. I went back to work. Yeah. Wow. And I started out as a, a, public information officer, you know, dealing with the media and office work. And, but I wasn't, uh, I wasn't nearly done or satisfied. I was able to, uh, the Phoenix police department is amazing how they take care of their, their people. And, uh, I was really surrounded with a lot of support, a great chain of command. Uh, my big, my biggest goal and dream was to be a homicide detective. They invited me to join the homicide unit. They trained me. They, they worked my, me up to where I was a scene investigator. I got to be involved in a lot of incredible cases and doing a job that's so much bigger than you. You know, you're working, you're speaking for That's what you yeah. signed up for, though, um, man. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, now, exactly, yeah. I guess the feeling that you went through all this and you're finally still able to try to do what you wanted to do, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, nothing was going to deter me because, I mean, being a police officer is a calling. It's not a 40 hour week job. It's not. A way to collect a paycheck. And I said it, and I said it a few minutes ago. I think it's a gene we have. It's a serving yeah. gene. My my eight year old son has it, man, and I'm trying yeah, to push it. him away from it. I love it, but I'm trying to push him away <laughs> from it because I don't want him to go through anything afterwards. You know, I know yeah. what the aftercome is. But man, he tells me, and and I know he tried to say it to satisfy me. He's like, you know, I want to be a cop, dad. But I think, you know, in reality, I want to be a MP in the Marines because I still want to be a Marine like you. But I want to be a cop. And I'm like, man, he really, and I see it. Somebody falls, a little kid anywhere or an adult, and he's like, oh, look, papi, let's go. And it's like, he's telling me, let's go. You know, so it's 
it's a gene you have. Like you said, it's not a job. You're not really clocking in. You're doing it because you want to do it, man. And it's all day. Even when you're off duty, it's all you're thinking about. And it's, it is. It's part of your DNA. It's a gene. And, you know, you can't get rid of that. You, you tell your son uh, if he's got that in him, then either he needs to be a firefighter or be security police in the Air Force. Don't you do not be an MP in the Marines. <laughs> That's what I told them. I told them what it means, but you know, I, hey, listen, I know there's some MP guys <laughs> listening right now. I love you guys, but you know the whole joke. I told him, yeah. I told my son, I go, listen, don't be Blue Falcon. And he's like, what's yeah. that? I go, you don't want to know what Blue Falcon really means. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so, uh, and then jokingly yesterday, the other day, uh, uh, something comes on TV about Navy SEALs and literally the second person talking is Jay. And he's like, yeah. Poppy, look, it's Jay. Our friend Jay and I'm like yeah and he goes you know what I just changed my mind I want to be a Navy SEAL and I'm like all right well then you got I got a Rolodex of friends that you could talk to for advice hey, on that sure. one man because I literally got yeah. like ten or, that I know off the top of my head so that's exactly right <laughs> um, but yeah, man my let- uh, my son who uh, he's he's getting recruited for baseball right now and one awesome of his top considerations is to do the Merchant Marine Academy and okay then to serve uh, to play baseball for them up on Long Island and then to go serve. And, uh, you know, the Merchant Marines, obviously, they focus yeah. on water side of things. But you actually get once you get your commission, you get to choose which branch you want to serve. In. Oh, so it's kind of a it's kind of a cool, cool deal. And uh, I fully support it. If you're nice. doing it. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I love it. And I'm kind of pushing him toward like, if you want to be a cop, do the federal side. Be like a. That's what I US tell my law. son. I'm like, you're going to go to college. Right. Service agent. Do something like that. Don't yeah. be, don't be a B, especially right now. I mean, no. I, I tell you, I don't think I would go back and do, I wouldn't be a cop right now. I mean, man, we talked about it a few seconds ago. I mean, you started the podcast talking about it. I mean, yes, there's a lot of things going on right now that are making the job difficult, you know, um, um, making it very, and yeah, I, we're in a down cycle that uh, it's going to be a while before we get out of it. Things are yeah. going to get. Recovery is going to be tough. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And it's because, you know, and I see it at our academy. A lot of, a lot of people who would be really good see what's going on in the world, and so they don't want the job anymore, and that lowers the bar on the hiring process. Yes, and then you end up with certain people that shouldn't not, have been there. Not yeah. everybody, but you end up with certain people like this fucking idiot in Minnesota who should have never yep. been hired and gotten the badge. Yep, and. So you're going to continue, and then you get put in these situations you don't know how to handle them. Yeah, because it sucks, man. And we used to hear it. We used to be told in the Marine Corps, man. We were like, um, there was like all sorts of incidents you would hear around the world of Marine pulling into port and beating somebody up and stuff. It was like, you're giving, you might be a piece of shit, but you're giving everybody a black eye. You're giving everybody that bruise. And the media is huge. And right now, man, I mean, I was just at a cigar shop before I came to, to, to interview you to hang out and relax and release. And, um, you know, it's it's right next to uh, the department. And, you know, I was talking to the guys and, and, and they feel the same way. Like, and, and it sucks because you have police officers that feel the same way that, that we do right now, that that guy was a piece of shit. What he did was 100% fucking wrong, you know? And, and... It doesn't matter. The, the people don't want to hear that. They're not going to hear it from you. They're not going to believe it from you. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you said, it's it's such a bad timing right now, and it's really a, it's going to get worse. And 
I, I mean, I, I really didn't think we were going to talk about this in my podcast because it's, it's more about, you know, the incident the individual went through. But right now, this is going through through society and affecting society traumatically, sure. affecting people, you know. So, you know, sure. I'm glad we kind of brought it up. But um, I'm 100% correct. You know, it's, 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 it's allowing people that don't have that serving gene to now go into a job that they think it's going to be fun and exciting and yeah. You don't, those are the people that you want to hire. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. want the people with the gene that understand that when they're going to show up to a scene, they're showing there because people need help. Yeah, to protect and to serve. To protect and means, serve, yes. Means something, including, including the protection and service of suspects. Hey. People you arrest. Because once you, once you put your handcuffs on somebody, guess what? They're your, you are they're 100%. Yes. You 100% you're responsible for yep. them. And, it's it's just unacceptable. I you know I had a short career. I, I never I mean, saw I just anything had, like this. Jason, I just had this conversation with Sean Lopez. Uh, I don't know if you know him, Sean Lopez, and he's a part of the Overcome Academy. One of the graduates. Yeah. He's a speaker as yeah. well in Eagle Rise, yeah. and we were just having this conversation. I was like, Sean, man, this is just so fucked up, man. Like, it's so wrong because, dude, we in Iraq and Afghanistan, like, we had the Geneva Convention. Like, dude, I remember shooting people and then supplying aid to them yeah, like are crazy. you are you fucking kidding me like we did that over there and the, you know and it gets me man because dude i've been in situations where unfortunately my name comes up and when you run my name it comes up i guess as a possible terrorist or a possible like <laughs> uh not 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 a friendly dude you know and um certain police officers approach me then once they run my name very differently because it's yeah. seen with me that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a veteran, the way I carry myself and stuff. And then I've been in situations where I've been handcuffed, you know, and I've had yeah. nine cops around me because it, it was a little scary scene. And I luckily I'm able to control myself to where let me keep my cool. But I know that there there could be a possibility that that could have been me. I could have been ended up one day on the ground because. They're scared of me. I'm a Marine. I've already disclosed I'm a Marine. I'm a vet. Um, I, I like to disclose to police officers off the rip. Look, I'm a 100% disabled vet, so you know who you're dealing with, man. Like, yeah. you know, I might get emotional. Need to know that. You need to know that, man, for everybody's safety, you know. But yeah. certain individuals might change their mind, you know. That's why I started this podcast, so that they know PTSD doesn't mean you're crazy, you know. Police officers have PTSD, you know. Like, unfortunately, certain people will treat me differently, you know. And, um... It just sucks that this is happening to to you guys right now because there's so many that do the job to serve and protect, like you said, man. Like, oh, there's so, so many, so many, so many, and you have assholes like this, and then unfortunately, you have. I don't even want to speak for them, but the ones that we're watching, man. Um, oh, you know, there's that code. Yeah. There's that code of this is. I'm serving and protecting, but I'm also a cop and then we're brothers. And it's like, I don't understand what was going through their head, but at the end of, I mean, come on, dude, after a couple minutes, the guy was handcuffed. You know, I don't know. I don't want to talk about this dude. I really don't. Um, <laughs> um, it's just, I get so heated about it. Cause like you said, this is just so Me wrong too. and you guys yeah. are going to, it's going to be so hard for you guys to recover from this that I, I just, all I could say is that I hope the, I hope everybody, I mean, dude, for once I, I've been looking on Instagram and I know people on the right and on the left and in the middle, and everybody's been finally united and saying, this is fucked up. This is wrong. This is, this yeah. is wrong. And unfortunately, now it's getting 
it's getting shadowed by riots and people looting. You know what I'm saying? So that's yeah. why I didn't yeah. want to talk about it because I, if I want to talk about it, I want to talk about the real deal situation, the fucked upness exactly. about it. But it's yeah. getting overshadowed by, I mean, they're trying to pin it now that this guy was a supporter of the president. Like, you know, shit like that is not is not going to help the situation, dude. No, we need to fix the right. So, you know, I'm glad you said that, you know, because obviously we have that mentality, you and I, you know, and, and, and I'm glad we're doing this podcast and you have your own podcast, too. Um, and, and this is what we need. Individuals like us, I guess, need to use our platform for this and use that word right there. Productive. Everything we do needs to be productive. Move forward. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's why yeah. that's why, like I said, it's, it's, it's the podcast behind it is people that have at some point in their life possibly gone backwards or, you know, felt that their life was over. How do you move forward from that? You know what I'm saying? Sure. So um, we we had left off, man, where, you know, your family and everybody was getting used to this and you were finally back on the force. You were back on homicide, you yeah. know, and. And, 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 and what, how did you do this, Jay? You know, how did we get to the point, man, where, I don't know. I'm now riding along with you because you're still moving. You're still going forward. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. you know, so how, how did you continue pushing yourself to, to, to move, to, to be productive? Well, I had a lot of things, uh, you know, being a, still being pretty young and being a young father, having that baby, uh, raising a daughter and another son uh, trying to be productive and earn the income from my family and or for my family. And then I ended up retiring five and a half years after the accident in August of 2006. And I just finally got to the point where, you know, I couldn't qualify with my gun again because of my deformed hands. I learned how to shoot it, learned how to load and unload it. And I was very proud of that. And I still carry it. Yeah, to this day. but you just knew um, that it wasn't as productive uh, as it should have been. Yeah, it, yeah, I wasn't going to be able to do it at right. the time. When, when shit no hit the fan. Important. Exactly. And and then my, my eyesight, which is for everything that I've been through, the most precious thing to me is my eyesight because I was blind for completely blind for nine months. And being in that darkness was it's horribly claustrophobic. And and I mean, scary. we might have to do a whole another episode on this because I am so curious. I Let me tell you. I, I know what vision is and how precious it is. You know, um, I've still, I'm 38 and I still have 2020 vision. And awesome. I, I remember, I mean, I mean, that's why I'm saying I could do a whole episode on this. Like I remember saying that I'm a, I'm an organ donor, but I never wanted to donate my eyes, but now I want to know, and I want to be interested. And I, I, I'm not saying you were an eye donor or anything like that, but how did your recovery, how did that process happen where you were, in total darkness to to where at least you could see something well i was in total darkness because of my corneas were severely damaged by the heat and fire so they covered my eyes and okay. skin grass and then about nine months later they opened those up but my eyesight when it burns and uh just uh, to, to give you a quick synopsis yeah, yeah. burns create these blood vessels in your corneas to blister right when when they're when these blood vessels fill up you can't see. It's and like bubbles. So it's still, everything boiling. Right. And I still battle that. Uh, I've lost vision in my right eye. And I will, at some point, the doctors want to do a corneal transplant. And so I will need a donor. And it's it's humbling to think that right now somebody is walking around the world, living their life, yep. and might meet a, a tragic end. And I'm going to end up with their 
their eye. That's a humbling thing to think about. Brother, I, I, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you on that one. No, okay. But one of my really good friends, I just saw her post the other day, uh, yesterday, and I finally texted her today that she's going through the process of getting becoming a heart recipient. You know, and it literally it hit me. What you just said hit me there, man. Like how important that is and humbling that. I mean, that could. <sighs> well, it is because you think of her and I mean, you, you know her, right? So yeah. you, want, you want her to get a new heart. You yeah. want her life to be saved. But just think about, about it this way. She is laying there basically waiting, waiting, man, for somebody like that girl on the motorcycle to fall off. Dude, that's it, what that's what. That's yeah. how the world goes around. And it's, you know, it's going to take another family's misery and devastation to save a life. However, I do a lot of speaking across the country yes. for organ and tissue donation places. And I hear a lot of great stories and families do end up with a lot of encouragement and closure knowing whether they, they lost a baby to SIDS or whether they lost their 18 year old son in a car accident or somebody was shot in the head, yeah. but they were able to donate their heart and lungs because the doctors did a good job. It, uh, you know, unfortunately life gets cut short for some people and they, if they donate, it ends yep. up prolonging and giving back the quality of life to other people. So it, it, it is difficult on both sides, but, uh, it's something I think about a lot because I'm going to, uh, you're going to need it. I was a, I was a tissue recipient. I, I had dozens. I was going to ask you that, like how, because, you know, like Jay, Jay and I have talked and Jay's told me I've been through like 40 something surgeries and, and, yeah. and all of this. Like, how did that process go for you where, you know, like you said, so you were, you were out of the hospital by July 31st. So like, when did that, I mean, the recovery is not easy, man, because I mean, I, I've oh, seen no, what you, the I, hardest part. I saw what you looked like before. I could imagine what you looked like immediately right after. You know, it was yeah. really bad. And if you're telling me you could win beauty pageants now, you know, like it's amazing, like how much it's gone through like like how does that work you know where where did you get these tissue donations and, and you know like how's that process go yeah that it, yeah people who uh like you chose to check the box on their driver's license say i'm an organ and tissue donor and when they pass away and and they qualify uh and and with ferns you can't like i could not get tissue and then it'd be permanent it okay. was temporary to cover my open wounds and to keep, you know, help me fight infections. Right. But eventually you have to use your I mean, own. literally, like, I'm going to I'm gonna just, I, I like to break things down Barney style on my podcast. So literally all, all these tissue donors are is just a tarp to keep that, the, to keep the, to keep the scene from yep. dust getting in and. Yep. For days at a time. But you need, you need this freshly live tissue so that it's not like a, you know, deceased tissue. That's uh, you know, yeah, you gotta have it. And I, cause I would have never survived without the, the tissue donation. So that's part of why I'm so actively involved with the organ and tissue places all over the country speaking and letting families know, Hey, this, this does mean something because look what it turned into and to talk about my son who was born after, or to let them see where my life is now. But uh, to go back to answer. Yeah you know, your question about how I was going. And so I retired and then all of a sudden I'm just Jason and I'm a civilian. And, uh, uh, I started out like, well, I'm just going to chill. I, shit. I learned how to play golf again. And, uh, uh, spent, just about tried doing days, you. spent about four days a week doing that until I 
finally realized, you know, you need a job. You need to go back to work. And, you need a purpose. Uh, went, went into business for myself, um, doing non-emergency medical transportation. And, and, uh, and then I had another one of my aha moments. I used to get, I used to get speeches here and there just to give my story was on the news a lot. Uh, because I was injured in the line of duty, so I'd be asked to go to a church or a school. And but I didn't know how to tell my story. I didn't know this. It hadn't evolved yet. And I was sharing my story to a really large group in 2010, uh, like 700 people. Hmm. And one of the guys in there was a New York firefighter. And you know, it, it shouldn't be very hard for people to figure out that I love firefighters. Yeah. And like on 9/11, I had. I had had one of my biggest surgeries on September 10th. It was wow. 14 hours and uh, I was blind. So on September 11th, when all that happened, I couldn't see it. I could only listen to it. Yeah. And, and you had that feeling of, I want to be there. Like, wow. Yeah. Like, and you know, when those towers came down, all I thought about was, man, there's a lot of firefighters that are going up those stairs right now yep. as those buildings came down. And um, So anyway, fast forward to 2010, I had this guy come up to me and he was a New York firefighter. And he told me, that not only was he at 9-11 and lost a lot of his friends, but as my speech was going on in 2010, he was going through a divorce and he said that my story changed his life. And that's what I realized, the power of telling your story. I yep. think everybody should tell their story because you never know who you're going to help. You never know what kind of an instruction manual it's going to be for somebody else. Yep. what they're going through, even if it looks and feels completely different. That's matter. why. Yep. And so that's when I decided to be a speaker full time. And, you know, it's a, it's a difficult business to grow. Uh, but over the years, it's gotten a lot better. Uh, you know, very proud to be an Eagle Rise speaker. I do. I finished last year with 75 speeches, travel mm -hmm. all over the country. And, uh, this year, obviously, my career got uh, derailed a little bit, uh, just like everybody's has with this yeah. uh, COVID thing. Uh, but I'm hoping it'll pick back up in the fall and I can resume traveling and, and doing uh, uh, doing my thing. Because, I mean, uh, it's so great that you turned that, that, that corner to starting to tell your story in life because I think, I, I mean... I, other than that firefighter, I mean, there has to be, I mean, a bunch of little kids that come up to you that have been oh, yeah. burned, you know, and other civilians that are like, Hey man, I want to hear your story. I was like, this is amazing. You know? So you become an inspiration for them that damn, if this guy can do it and then I'm going to, I can do it too. You know? Um, yeah. I, I've heard the craziest things over the years. I mean, I've heard people, I, I had somebody come up to me once saying that they had just gotten diagnosed with cancer and still didn't have the courage to tell their family and yet they were telling me wow and and you know somebody walk up going hey my cousin was killed in a hang gliding accident three days ago and i'm just looking you don't see most most people's scars you don't see them. mine yeah. you see uh, but most of our scars are on the inside and, and i've heard some amazing stories and the one thing about being a speaker and you know you're getting into this more and more it's also i'm, I'm so new into this man i just I just got it an email. So, it's so therapeutic. Oh, so like, what? That's I, what I said. It's that's why I, I go. Yeah, when I travel, uh, you know that one hour on stage ends up being so therapeutic and inspirational for me. And then I'll get on a four-hour plane and ride and come home. And, and it's an emotional release. 
it is. And I, I find myself sitting on that plane quietly and feeling. You feel like, like you lost 40 pounds. Yeah, it's like, just the greatest thing. And it, it doesn't end. Even though I tell my story in the same way over and over to different groups, I have now, you know, over the past decade, I've spoken to tens of thousands of people. It it only keeps getting better. I mean, I love it. I can't wait to get to my next one and do it again. I just love doing it that much. And I hope, hope I'm still, uh, I consider myself young. I used to, when I was in my 20s, if a 47-year-old came up to me, I'd be like, damn, you're old. Well, now I'm 47. And I'm like, this ain't old. Yeah, no, uh, so, everything's changed now. I mean, the new 40s, oh, I, I'm 38. So I'm like, whoa, right. I'm, I'm a baby. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So uh, being 47, I'm hoping I got a, another good 20 years of uh, this career ahead of me. And uh, That's it, that's 20? What What's Man, that? That's it, 20? Yeah, that's what you're aiming for? Dude, Jay, Jay yeah. and I were talking that the other day when I wished him his birthday, and he's like, I'm halfway through. I'm like, halfway through to what? And he's like, 90. And I'm like, geez, man. I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, no, like, no, don't get me wrong. I'll be happy to live to 90, but at about six, you actually seven, want to stop. I'm going, I'm going back to golf four days a week. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm retire. I'm going to retire like normal people retire. Retire, so, yeah. <laughs> that's when I say 20 years left. That's what I'm talking. Oh about. man, so that's I'm awesome. Gonna, yeah, yeah. Be in my beach house somewhere. Hopefully down here, man. We'll go fishing. Uh, so, hey, dude, I, I love Florida, man. You have no idea. I'm. Uh, Good. Uh, then I, I get. Go then there. I need I to, to go there several times a year. So. Then I need to plan. Then I need to plan you f to join us on one of our fishing trips. You know, this year oh, our absolutely. goal. You know, my story was you know a little different. I wasn't wounded or anything, but I did get to see a lot of uh, a lot of shit go down in front of me. Uh, we lost a lot of guys, and you know I, I, I dealt with it very bad for years, years. And um, I think the the longer you deal with something the wrong way, the longer it's going to take you to recover from it. Um, and you know, and I, I dealt with it the wrong way for 10 years. So it took me, you know, three and a half years of hitting rock bottom to recover from it. Um, yeah. and it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, you know, where, where you end up getting. So I started the, the organization, my, my nonprofit to take guys out fishing. And this year our goal was to take first responders out because nice. the way that PTSD is going right now. And, you know, it sucks that, uh, I, I don't like that number, that 20, 22, whatever the number is. I, I, I think it's a fake number. That's It's wrong. There's a lot of, you know, things that go in and out of it. But I know right now that police officers are right now the worst out of first responders. The CDC put a report where one in four police officers has thought of suicide at one point in their career or their life. Yeah. And I they're mean, doing it. And they're doing it. Yeah, about 150... Officers are killed in the line of duty every year and at least double that. I think it, no, more, more. There was more than that. They said, yeah, it was like three, 400 or something like that, right? Yeah. And then, and then what you don't see though is all the ones that are getting divorced and getting hooked on drugs. Right. They're and, ruining their career, and, suiciding their exactly. career. Because it's, exactly. I say, I tell everybody it's not just actual suicide. It's like people that are just trashing their career of 15, 16 years over a DUI, over a bar fight or something, you know, like. Right. Exactly. Because because they're scared of going to work and saying, hey, listen, guys, I just want to talk to somebody and, and that's it, you know, and they're scared of doing that because they're going to take their, their badge and their gun away and they're going to be like, here, ride that desk, you know, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and that's why I tell guys that, you know, at least listen to this podcast or something, man. But, dude, brother, I am so thankful for having you on the show. Um, I, I, I want to, you know, give a little shout out of what you do, though, please. I mean, we've said you're a public speaker and stuff like that. But you do have a podcast as well, correct? 
Uh, I, so I have a podcast. It's called Badge Boys, and we try to keep it uh, uh, do a positive spin on law enforcement. We have great guests. It's on every Wednesday. You can find it. Uh, there's a link in my website, which right. is Burning Shield. BurningShield.com. I have a book called Burning Shield. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, but the uh, the website, or I'm sorry, the podcast is every Wednesday. We have a lot of fun. We have a lot of laughs. And then we have some serious moments like this week. Uh, it's going to be serious. Two days ago, we spent 20 minutes talking about the Minneapolis deal, and it was a very uh, serious subject. Uh, but I love doing the podcast. love the guests that we have on. And um, and then the, the website, I'm easy to find. I'm all over social media. If you can figure out how to spell my name, it's just at uh, Schechterly underscore Jace uh, for both my Twitter and Instagram. All right. And I'll um, be posting that. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I'm a huge, uh, not, not a Facebook fan, but they own Instagram, so I'm not, I can't. Uh, <laughs> it's not like I'm not involved. Yeah, you're still um, in them. If I'm on, I use Instagram mostly. And uh, and then the website, check it out. It's uh, a person who did it, did a great job. I'm very proud of the book. It took me three authors and eight years to get this book done correctly. So, oh, man, let me tell you, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a lot of questions for you because I've thought about it. I've thought about, you know, putting everything down on paper of that, that has gotten to me, that has gotten me to where I'm at today. And, you know, my life is not just the military, things that happened to me before the military and then after the military that weren't even military related. They were just family issues, you know, right. and stuff like that, that so many other people could relate to. And and that piled on to everything that I've been through. Um, honestly, I've been dying to just possibly write a book. So I'm going to have a lot of questions for you, man. Cause um, I, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. Uh, it. It was something I never thought of doing. And it turned out to be one of the best things that I ever did. Uh, I'll tell you it's what, a legacy forever. That's the thing. When I, when, when Jay asked me to share my story in his book, overcome, and I was yeah. like, all right. Um, I didn't know how I felt about it, but I was like, all right. And I started then getting the questions and stuff and we sat down and spoke. And, um, once I read it and I was like, Oh my God, dude, this is my story in Jay's book. Like, yeah. wait a second. I was, pretty cool. It, it was really cool. But then I was, I was, I, I, that's where it hit me. And I was like, wait a second. You know what? If people feel that they could get help from just this one section of a chapter, I'm right. like, dude, there's so much more to my story that, I could possibly help in more ways that, yeah, that's why then I decided to do the podcast and possibly a book, but yeah, man, I, I it's amazing. I'm definitely going to add this one to my collection because I don't have your book yet. So uh, I'm going to definitely now read it uh, and put it in my audible. I'm not going to lie. I, I don't do well reading. Um, yeah, so, um, this is, this one's going to be on my next one for audible for sure. But right. dude, brother, thank you so much, Jason, for coming on my thank podcast, you. because this is to me, I told you before, I, I'm, I'm the editor, the producer. I have my mixing board here. And this has become my hobby, my, my, my new release, my new form. And I think you'll be like episode 15 or 16. So, I mean. Um, Dude, that's awesome. Let I, me know when it airs. Make sure you blast it Oh, 100%, it brother. And, uh, I'll advertise it as well. I can't wait to Thank you it. so much, though, Jason, uh, man. Um, oh, I, thank you. I appreciate you sharing your story. And also, I appreciate you um, speaking about how you felt about, you know, what just recently happened in Minnesota. And, 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 I'm, and I'm glad we talked about it. I wasn't going to talk about it on my podcast, but you know what? I'm glad we did because it is, it is something that, you know, right now this country is going to traumatically go through. Um, yeah, it's, an important, it's an important topic, especially for first responders. Yes, because, especially for first responders. Um, 
because 99.9 of us are on the right side. Yep. I mean, like I said, dude, I was there today at the cigar shop and I was like, what's up guys? And they were already talking about then this fuck. I'm glad they arrested this piece of shit yeah. like this and that. Yeah. And this was coming from a exactly. sergeant and a lieutenant and other people. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, like I, I felt like I wish I could have gone live right there because they were two of them were in uniform, you know. And I'm like, right. fuck, I wish the society could see this, you know, because exactly. right now and that's how they all feel. That's how exactly. most feel. You know, it's like right now it's it's unfortunately people aren't going to believe that and, and they need to. They need to because we're all in this together, man. Yeah, we that's we're all yeah we're all Americans. We're all human beings. Yep. And we all have somebody that we love or somebody that loves us, and that's what we gotta we gotta stop all the hate and yep. uh, uh, get get some positivity going back. Yes, on. sir. So I appreciate you. I'm glad I'm getting to know you, bud. We'll be in touch and uh, just stay in the fight. You're doing uh, you're doing amazing. Well, job. I'll tell you what, man. Uh, get uh, we'll we'll set the date up or whenever you feel comfortable. But definitely, uh, I'll bring I want to bring you down here. I have a group of police officers that some of them are veterans and stuff. That like I said, so now I'm doing a finally a uh, fishing trip in July 10th where I'm uh, doing taking out some firefighters that were veterans. So I'm starting my first responder process. Every yeah. cop that I've asked has told me no so far that they don't want to go. They don't want to be associated with my organization because it's about PTSD. And I'm like, bro, come on, dude. Florida. That's not, or, a, stick. That's not a bad thing. The thing is, Florida already passed legislation where you can talk about it and you're not going to lose your job. But before yeah. people were losing their job saying yeah. I had PTSD, you know, so I'll join you in a heartbeat. Hey, man. listen, man. And, and you have to bait my hook for me, though. Come get out of here, man. I, I, I think Tyler Southern did everything himself. And the day we took him fishing, he caught 15 fish. Oh, all right. All right. Well, that, see, now that's a challenge. <laughs> you see, there we go. All right, all right, and, I'll take that. All right. There we go. But brother, thank right, you brother. so much. I appreciate this, Jason. Um, I'm so you, glad bro. that we're getting to know each other more. So uh, thank you, buddy. You as well. All right. You take care of yourself. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Post Traumatic Survival Podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show. We appreciate you and them. Until next time, survivors.